All right. Uh, good evening. Glad to see everyone here uh, this evening. Uh, of course, this is our Wednesday night Bible study, our midweek Bible study, as we often refer to it. And, you know, it's just a great blessing to be able to get together and just spend some time in God's Word as we're going throughout the week. Hopefully it hasn't been too hectic for uh, anyone, but again, we're just glad that you're here. Uh, we are continuing our study, as you see before me. Uh, thanks for noticing me, right? The, the Eeyore uh, message there, thanks for noticing me. me, New Testament figures that maybe we just don't spend too much time thinking about uh, in the scriptures, and uh, we are going to be uh, looking at the life of Dorcas tonight, Dorcas, and so uh, maybe you got a chance to read uh, this week, uh, Acts chapter 9, uh, that's where we're going to be, if you want to open up your Bibles, Acts chapter 9, uh, that's where the text will be, and of course we've I think this is week number four, but we've really looked at, uh, well, at least four individuals so far. Uh, remember, we began with looking at Lydia, and then Zacchaeus, and then we kind of touched on Nicodemus last week, but we really spoke most of the class on Joseph of Arimathea, who happens to be in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but only in that, you know, that tiny section there at the end of all those gospel accounts. And again, we noticed how he was a, a rich man. The Bible describes him as a rich man. Uh, which uh, fulfilled prophecy of the Old Testament, which was you know, just really thrilling to think about. And this man was looking for the kingdom. Right? He was somebody important in the Jewish religion, but he heard or at least you know, saw Jesus teach and preach over the, uh, those few years, and he was someone who the Bible referred to as a secret disciple. You know, we talked a little bit about that uh, last week as well. And, but, we, but again, we noticed that he came out of the shadows. Uh, he was... Um, honoring Christ by preparing uh, the body for burial. And so, again, that's Joseph of Arimathea. And we're, we'll uh, move on this, this evening to Dorcas. Um, how many have ever met a person named Dorcas? You have? Okay. Uh, two? Okay. Uh, United States? or a, Yeah, okay. Not a very common name, I guess. <laughs> Uh, but we'll touch on what that name here means uh, in a minute, uh, because she does have another name here in Scripture, and we'll again we'll touch on that uh, in a moment. Uh, has anyone heard of a woman by the name of Hetty Green? Hetty Green. Uh, she uh, over a hundred years ago passed away, uh, but she was quite possibly the unkindest person to have ever lived. Again, her name was Hetty. Green, and she was the heiress to a uh, a whaling fortune. Her, her family was in the whaling business. Again, this is back in you know 1890 or so, and uh, she, um, you know, that that's where her wealth came from. But uh, she even made more money in the stocks and bond market of that time as well. But she received this advice from her father when she was very young, and she held on to it. And it affected her her whole life. And this is what her father told her. This was the advice that she was given. And again, it contributed to her attitude towards people for the rest of her life. My father told me, never give anything to anyone, not even kindness. Again, that, that, that's the advice that she received from her father at such a young age. My father told me never to give anything to anyone, not even kindness kindness. She had the opportunity to tremendously bless people uh, in this life, and, uh, 
with, with the, the fortune that she had, but she decided to hoard it. Uh, if you ever read her biography, she decided to hoard it, and she didn't even spend it on herself. When she turned 20 years old, her father bought her this, um, this wardrobe of dresses, and the idea was for her to you know, wear those and to find a suitor. Well, she took that wardrobe of dresses that he had bought her, and she sold it. And then she used that money to buy some bonds, right, because... Um, she wanted, again, more money. And then when she turned 21, I thought this was the most interesting aspect of her life. When she turned 21, she uh, received the inheritance that her father had promised her of uh, around $6 million, which, again, at that time, you equate that to today's dollars, and that's uh, like close to $100 million. So, you know, we're talking about a great deal of money here. But when she turned 21, she refused to light the candles on her birthday cake. And then she took those candles and went back to the store and got a refund for them. Later in life, she, uh, she lived, uh, after her husband passed away, she lived in sort of the cheapest housing that she could find for her and her children. She would not seek medical attention for herself or her children because, again, of the costs. Again, that advice she received, my father told me never to give anything to anyone, not even kindness. And her cruel... Uh, Demeanor actually gave her this nickname, which maybe you're more familiar with her nickname, the, the Witch of Wall Street, or the Wicked Witch of Wall Street. You know, again, maybe, maybe that's a name that you're more familiar with. But that's how people remembered her. Right, she died in uh, 1916, friendless, and again, remembered as being maybe the one of the most unkindest people to ever live. Well, the subject of our lesson tonight is going to be the complete opposite of Hetty Green. Right? The woman, this woman, we're going to read about her. It's obvious that she made a tremendous impact on the lives around her. Um, she was beloved because of what we're going to see here in the text, uh, because of the good deeds that she did, the charitable deeds that she did. And consequently, when she dies in this chapter, uh, the brethren are going to send for an apostle, because he just happens to be in the neighborhood, and they're going to hope that you know, something can be done for her. And um, he's going to arrive, and they're just going to shower him with, you know, th this is what she did for me. And they wanted to show him all of the, the, the materials that she had made over, over the years. And, you know, their actions, the, uh, these people's actions are going to, again, they're going to just show how deeply the loss of her life was felt. And you know, I can, imagine, I can imagine that the people there were just, you know, on that day were just reminiscing about her life, you know, uh, of Dorcas, this woman by the name of Dorcas. Uh, you, know, you and I have probably been to a fair number of funerals in our lives, haven't we? And you can kind of tell, right, you can kind of tell right away uh, what kind of life that person lived. You know how how people are reacting, uh, whether they're, you know, they're they're, you know, somewhat upbeat. You know, they're they're uh, uh, they're, they're laughing because they know uh, of the life that they lived. Maybe they're sad. You know, maybe they're crying. But then there are those that maybe a little bit more indifferent, right? That is just a little bit quieter. Uh, not as many are there, and you can tell, right? And we can tell here in the text again just what type of woman she was, and so. Um, the lamenting that's taking place here in Acts chapter 9, 
and we'll start in verse uh, 36 here in a moment. Um, it's what you would expect of a good person, right? of a person that somebody loved when, when they passed away. And again, you know, was this her, her family? Was this her church family? Uh, whoever these individuals were, the, you know, these widows that are there as well, uh, they did not, um, he- they weren't hesitant to express their sorrow. And so, uh, again, this is a testimony to the kind of person that she was. And, you know, we can contrast this with somebody else in Scripture. Uh, I wasn't going to take too much time to talk about this, but uh, in Second Chronicles, you know, just kind of contrasting uh, this, the life of Dorcas with another individual, Second Chronicles chapter 21, I just wanted to read to you what kind of ending this king had by the name of King Jehoram. In Second Chronicles chapter 21, uh, starting in verse 19, now it's, it's a little gruesome uh, because he had some problems at the end of life physically, but it talks about now it came about in the course of time at the end of two years that his bowels came out because of his sickness, and he died in great pain, and his people made no fire for him like the fire for his fathers. He was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years, and he departed with no one's regret. And they buried him in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the king. Sort of sad, isn't it? A king of Judah uh, mentioned that no one had any regrets. Uh, no one was sad. No one was upset that this man uh, passed away. And again, complete opposite from what we see from this woman that we're going to study here uh, tonight. And so um, let's just jump in, I guess. And we'll, we'll go a couple of verses at a time. So, uh, again, uh, this is the only time she's mentioned in Scripture is in here is here in Acts chapter 9. And so let's begin in verse 36. And we'll just read a couple of verses at a time. Uh, now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. And this woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Okay, so uh, the first thing we notice about Dorcas or Tabitha is that uh, the Bible mentions that she was a disciple, right? She was a disciple. And, um, <clears throat> of course, you know, of course, you know, what does that mean? Follower. Yeah, a follower, right. Uh, she was a follower uh, of Christ. Now, uh, it's not until Acts chapter 11, right, that, that they were first called Christians in Antioch. And so uh, up until Acts chapter 11, they're just usually referred to, you know, Christians as disciples here. But so we notice that she is a disciple uh, living in Joppa. And her name, uh, Tabitha, that's her Aramaic name. Uh, but her Greek name was Dorcas. Now, um, again, you guys kind of surprised me by some of the hands going up saying uh, that you know someone by the name of Dorcas. Uh, you know, uh, I guess, you know, what would you rather go by, Tabitha or Dorcas? I know a couple of Tabithas. Uh, but I don't know any Dorcases, but um, the, the, the meaning of that name in both Aramaic and Greek is gazelle. Gazelle, or little gazelle, or fawn, 
you know, you kind of get the idea of, you know, a baby deer, right? A little gazelle. And so uh, that's what her name meant. And she was from Joppa. I think we... There we go. So same map we've been looking at the past couple of weeks. Just kind of, again, just here's Jerusalem for point of reference. And now we're going over here to this area. So Joppa here is by the sea. And uh, Lydda... Uh, we're going to talk about this, this town here uh, in a moment as well. It, it's of significance in this story. But not to jump into uh, anything else, but Joppa. Do we remember in Scripture of, you know, of somebody who is famous about uh, the city of Joppa? Think of an Old Testament minor prophet who was running away from God. Jonah, Jonah right. Uh, Joppa is where, you know, he makes that decision to, to run away from God, right? Get on that ship, and then he heads towards Tarshish. Remember that? Uh, that's Joppa. And uh, in Acts chapter 10... Uh, we're not going to read that passage, but uh, right after our account, uh, there's going to be the story of Peter, where you know he has that, that vision. Uh, remember of the, the sheep coming down with all the animals on there, and God tells him, you know, arise and eat, Peter, kill and eat, and and that's another great moment in Scripture that you know that takes place in Joppa, and that's a decision where someone runs to God. Right? Jonah runs away from God at Joppa. Uh, Peter decides to run to God in Joppa. Uh, but again, this is, this is where we're at. Just kind of setting the context of the story uh, of, of Dorcas. She is from Joppa. And this woman, this disciple, uh, says that, you know, as we just read here, uh, verse 36, this woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. So, you know, that tells me that she was not simply a follower of Jesus, but in word only, right? But she also, well, she lived out her faith, didn't she? Um, her actions in, in, reveal her allegiance. What passage, and I'm thinking of James chapter 1, uh, what New Testament passage does this remind us of? That she's not just a hearer of the word, she's a doer of the word, right? Uh, she is, well, full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. Um, these weren't something that she just did occasionally, right? It wasn't some, these good deeds, these charitable acts weren't something that she just did, you know, when she felt like it. I mean, look, again, look at verse uh, 36. It says she was abounding with deeds of kindness, she was regularly performing deeds of kindness, acts of charity. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce, who is a, a scholar of old, his Bible translation, uh, he translated this verse uh, saying that she spent all her time in the performance of good works and acts of kindness. Right? That, that's the idea of her. That she is abounding in good works and good deeds. Uh, that's her life. Right? That's what fulfilled her. And she didn't do this for the praise of others. 
Uh, she did what she could to provide for those in need. No wonder, right? No wonder there were so many there mourning the loss of, of this woman. just want to ask a quick question before we move on, but um, since we're talking about this subject of, of good deeds and works, are we saved by works? No? Okay, not works alone. Yeah, often the passage that gets brought up when we ask that is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith and, uh, and not by works, right? Um, we're not saved by works. We're not saved by the good deeds that we do, but are we still supposed to do those things? I like how this one preacher put it. Um, I, I wrote this down, and I've always kept this, but he said, uh, works are what a saved person does, not what a man does in order to be saved. Uh, in that passage in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 10, he says that we were made uh, for his workmanship to do good works, right? We were made to do good works, but we're not saved by works. But if you're saved, right, if God saves you by grace through faith, right, by, by faith in doing what he says, uh, we are going to do good works. And should we ever worry about doing good um, as if someone wouldn't notice what we were doing. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10 says, For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown towards his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. I think that's a powerful passage there. Again, Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10 that you know, you, you may do something, uh, you may do a good work, a good deed, and no one sees you do it, that doesn't mean it's forgotten, right? God sees that. God's going to remember that. And again, we're not doing those things to be saved, but we're doing those things because Christ saved us, right? And <clears throat> I know that the book of Titus is uh, full of passages uh, about this. Uh, I just wanted to read one for us here. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Where Paul says, uh, uh, our, our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Right? Christ has purified his people for his own possession and they are people who are zealous for good deeds. And again, that, that's, that's Dorcas, isn't it? She was zealous for doing these good things. Uh, but in spite of all that, in spite of everything that Dorcas did uh, back here in Acts chapter 9, she was human, right? She was human, and it happened that in those days she became sick and died. No matter how good or well-liked someone may be, right, they're still going to face death. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 2 uh, says it is the same for all, right? One fate for the righteous and for uh, the wicked, right? We're all going to face death, 
No matter how good of a person Tabitha Dorcas was, uh, she uh, dies here in this passage. And uh, we're told here, again in verse, uh, let's see, we're in verse 38 or 37, that, um, that they had her body washed and they laid it in an upper room uh, preparing for burial. Um, I don't think there's anything of significance here as far as you know, why they took her into an upper room, but are there not, I guess, well, I mean, I guess, there, are there not places in Scripture where an upper room is mentioned and significant? Yeah. Can we think of any? Okay, yeah, so uh, the Lord's Supper being, um, you know, authorized in an upper room, that, that last Passover. Um, in Acts chapter 1, right, all of the disciples gathered together in that upper room. Uh, in Acts chapter oh, 20, you know, Paul's going to preach in Troas in an upper room. Remember in that boy, Eutychus falls out the window? Uh, so <laughs> there's a lot of different events that take place in an upper room, and here's another one, right, that Dorcas is... Is, uh, she's laid in this upper room, and can in, uh, in that culture, in the Jewish culture, uh, do you just leave a corpse, you know, sort of just out in the open for a while, or do you got to take care of it? Yeah, you got you got to take care of it, right? And so, um, so it's interesting here that uh, that they're delaying this process a little bit, aren't they? Uh, again, it happened, verse thirty-seven, and it happened at the time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Right? They didn't go and bury the body right away, but they went and laid it in an upper room. And so, um, you know, what's with this delay? Well, I think what the next few passages are going to uh, help us to understand, because um, evidently, you know, word is out that uh, the Apostle Peter is nearby. And again, uh, if we look up here on the map, uh, Lydda. Lydda is where Peter is. He's here, and here's Dorcas. And so uh, it's about 10 miles, approximately 10 miles away. And so uh, they've been hearing some great things that are happening. And so uh, let's, let's notice this. And I'll jump here to our outline for tonight. Um, let's read verse 38 and 39. So since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with them, and when he arrived, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. Okay, so if we back up to verse 32 through verse 35, uh, it lets us know that, again, you know, Peter was in the neighborhood here. Uh, verse 32, now as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. And there, was, there he found a man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years, for he was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up, and all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. All right, so, so Peter, oh, the map's gone. Uh, Peter's there in Lydda. He is performing these miracles, right? He uh, is reviving this man who was paralyzed. 
and the people are seeing this, and they're, uh, they're believing, right? They're becoming Christians, and uh, word is spreading, right? And it starts to spread to Joppa, and so the disciples in Joppa know that Peter is nearby. Dorcas, again, the, the person, the beloved person there, uh, has just passed away, and so, again, um, we don't know why, you know, the text doesn't tell us that they knew that Peter could, you know, raise her from the dead. At this point, no apostle has raised anyone from the dead. Uh, Jesus has. Uh, some of the prophets of the Old Testament have, but no apostle has yet. So, I don't know. You know, is that what they believed? That, you know, Peter is performing these miracles, and if they get him there soon enough, uh, that he'll be able to do something? Um, maybe. Right, but they they invite Peter, and uh, he urgently comes to them. Again, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay. And again, there's that urgency there because the, the body needs to be buried soon. And you know, we think of ten miles uh, as not much today for us. You know, getting in a car, driving ten miles, but that would have been about three or four hours from Joppa to Lydda, and then from Lida to Joppa, another three to four hours. So we're talking, you know, close to a day's worth of travel, right? And so, again, urgency is of the matter. And Peter comes. He comes to Joppa. And I just love that verse where it talks about how the widows, you know, they just basically surround him, right? And say here, again, verse uh, 39, uh, when he arrived, they brought him into the upper room and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. Uh, here's another passage from James, uh, James chapter 1. You remember how James uh, chapter 1 ends? Uh, you know, true religion is this. We are to do what? Visit, yeah, James chapter 1, verse 27, uh, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. That word visit, to visit widows, it doesn't mean just to, you know, go by and see them, to, you know, go, go say hi, but it means to see what is needed and then supply what is needed, right? To make sure they're, they're being taken care of and cared for. And we're not told if Dorcas was a widow, but obviously she had an uh, influence with the widows in town. Uh, you know, maybe that's what, you know, maybe she was taking, you know, that passage to heart, right? That she was... Um, involved in the lives of those widows, again, supplying them with what they needed, uh, the, the tunics, the clothing, uh, all of those things. And, uh, you know, there's no Walmart in that day, is there? Uh, there's no uh, shopping center, right? And so Dorcas was it, you know, if you needed uh, clothing, if you needed a new garment. And so um, she was one who was abounding in good deeds, and that's what she did. Uh, I was looking this, or I saw this today, but I've never heard of this within the church, uh, but, you know, some denominations will have something referred to as, they'll call it like a Dorcas society. 
Have you ever heard of that? Where uh, women will just get together and sew, right? They'll sew clothing. They're taking the example of Dorcas to heart, you know, getting together uh, for fellowship, but also they're making clothing, right, for, for the poor and, and, and to hand those off. And so, you know, a, a great deed that they're doing, you know, we do that sort of similar, right? We don't put together the, the clothing, but we, you know, we get that clothing and we put it out to the public, you know, once a month, right, uh, for, for, for those who are in need. And uh, we do that good, you know, that good deed uh, that, that uh, you know, again, that Dorcas is showing us. And so, so uh, let, let's move on to the final verses as our time's uh, getting away from us. Uh, verses 40 through 43. Uh, but Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up, and calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. Does this, uh, this passage sound a little familiar? Or at least uh, in a different event, does it kind of sound a little familiar? Yeah, I'm thinking about Jesus when he raises, um, the, or yeah, when he raises the the little girl, right, for the centurion's daughter. Um, so Peter arrives, you know, and maybe this is what Peter's thinking. Right? Peter's with Jesus probably at that moment. He sees uh, how Jesus went about. Uh, you know, raising that girl from the dead, and it's very similar. You know, maybe Peter learned something uh, from from Jesus as far as, you know, just how he went about doing that, right? But he, he arrives into this upper room, he clears it out, and we're told that Peter kneels down and prays, and he turned to the body and said, Tabitha, arise. Um, and again, the, you can see the similarities between this and you know, we don't have the time to read uh, Jarius's daughter's account, uh, but, uh, you know, if we just kind of summarize, uh, you know, both instances, uh, a person arises from the dead. In both instances, you know, Jesus, remember, he goes in there and he disperses the crowd. He gets the people out of that room, and it was just him and some of the, the apostles. Again, here, Peter does that as well, right? He gets uh, the people out of the room. It's just him and the body. And uh, even the language is very similar. Uh, Jesus said, um, uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 41 says, and it speaks it in Aramaic, uh, but he says, Talitha come, which just means little girl arise. Talitha come. And um, one of the scholars I was reading today said, if Peter was speaking Aramaic, he would have said, Tabitha come, which uh, Talitha and Tabitha are basically spelled the same thing except with, uh, you know, the B and the L. And so he would have said, you know, little gazelle, arise, right? Little girl, Jesus says, little girl, arise. Peter would have said, little gazelle, arise. Again, very similar, uh, both of these instances. And again, at the end, in the end, the same result, right? Jairus' daughter arises from the dead. Tabitha uh, comes back to life. And we're told she opens her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and Peter doesn't waste any time, 
bringing Dorcas to the brethren. Um, they're probably a little anxious right now, aren't they? That uh, Peter could do something. And uh, so that must have thrilled their souls to see uh, her come down those stairs. And now let's kind of uh, finish on these thoughts. Uh, did Peter raise Dorcas merely to comfort the brethren? No, that's a byproduct of what he did. But what was the real reason that he raised Dorcas from the dead? So, yeah, so uh, let's look at verse, uh, verse 42 one more time. It says, it became known all over Joppa and many believed in the Lord. Right? She was raised so that others could be brought to Christ. Isn't that the purpose of miracles in the New Testament? Uh, Jesus and the apostles, they never performed miracles for, uh, for show, for their own gain, but they did it to you know, confirm what they were teaching, right? Uh, to confirm uh, the, the truth that was behind their message. And again, that's, that's what's going on here, right? Uh, the excitement, uh, I mean, yes, it's great that Dorcas is alive, and she's, her, her life has come back to her. But the real excitement here should be that souls were saved. Right? Again, verse 42, many believed in the Lord. Right? Many became Christians uh, that day because of what they saw. And so yeah, that's, that's what really matters here. And so, um, so as we finish our thoughts on Dorcas, uh, Tabitha, again, um, She's an example worthy of imitating. Uh, that's why we're studying these lessons on these minor New Testament figures, right? To pull these things out of their lives and to apply them in our lives. And when we leave this life, I mean, do we want to be remembered as a Hetty Green? You know, that, that lady we talked about at the beginning? Or do we want to be remembered as a Dorcas? As a Tabitha? And I think we all would want to choose Tabitha, right, Dorcas. Uh, one more passage. I told you there was a lot in uh, the book of Titus. Uh, but Titus chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says, This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. Right? Followers of Christ... Do good deeds. Uh, we're not saved by those good deeds, but we do good deeds because we are saved. And so, again, she is a great example for us to learn from. She was full of good works and charitable deeds. And that's, that's Jesus too, right? Jesus is described as one who went about doing good. And so we want to do that uh, as well. So appreciate uh, our study this evening. Uh, next week we will uh, look at the life of John Mark. And uh, that's a very interesting study, as uh, we recall that, you know, he's, uh, Paul doesn't want to take him on that second missionary journey, and there's a little bit of conflict between the two, but we notice by the end uh, that they resolve that, and so we'll want to take a look at that life of John Mark next week. But again, I appreciate everyone's participation tonight.